with me this morning, uh, for letting me come and, and bring God's word to you. Um, as I was driving over here this morning, I don't know, I was just getting excited. Uh, one of the, the strange things that I did in college is I went through a season where I just bounced around from church to church to church and went to all different types of churches. And uh, so it, in some ways it's kind of exciting for me just to drop into a church and worship with people. And, and as I was thinking about this, I thought to myself, that for God's people, there are no wasted Sundays in church. Like this is, the, this is the best place that we could be right here and right now, meeting with our Heavenly Father and worshiping with Him. Like there's no place I would rather be than be here with you guys this morning, um, exploring God's Word and worshiping the Lord of the universe uh, and just, um, I don't know, being one in fellowship with you all. So thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This morning, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. It may say Ephesians in whatever handout you have. Uh, you know, we got Colossians up there. We got it changed. I, I, at the last minute, called an audible and decided to preach from Colossians and not from Ephesians. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. If you'd like to open up your Bible, you can do that. Uh, this, we just finished a study at Grace. Grace is our local church there in Stillwater. We spent six weeks studying holiness. And so this is one of the sermons that I preach for them on holiness. And I've titled it, Growing in Holiness, Dressing Like Dad. Growing in Holiness, Dressing Like Dad. And hopefully you'll, you'll understand why I called that here in just a minute. Um, one pastor uh, that I listened to said that holiness is learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Growing in holiness is learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. So this morning, as we dive into this passage, um, we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and help us learn to love what he loves and hate what he hates. So we can't do this without the Holy Spirit. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning as your children, here to worship you, to be with you, to draw near to you. And you have come to be with us. Father, we want to become more and more like you, uh, you call us to be holy as you are holy. And so we pray that as we read and meditate on your word, that you would teach us to love what you love and hate what you hate. Uh, we confess this morning that we come with divided hearts. Uh, there is part of us that does truly love you, that wants to know you and be with you and grow close to you. But there's another part of us um, that forgets who we are, that runs back to sinful ways, it falls back into old habits. Um, there's part of us um, that still struggles with sin. Uh, we need you to renew our hearts and our minds, Father. We believe. Help us believe even more now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Daniel and Emily were in our ministry at RUF uh, for a year when we first got there, and, and it was a joy to, to see their kid this morning, Jimmy. And it made me think about whenever we had our first son, Tucker, uh, on uh, Halloween of, October, of 2007, we found out that we were expecting Tucker. And then nine months later, we had Tucker on June 24th, 2008. And uh, it was an exciting day. No doubt, the birth of a child is one of the most exciting days of your life. It's special. Um, but one of the interesting things about becoming a parent now and being a parent for the last 11 years is you realize that that's not the most special day. The parenting is filled with special days. Um, that ought to be a Hallmark card, right? Like parenting is filled with special days. 
But uh, and I'll tell you, one of the, <laughs> something that happened a few years ago that I really thought was special and I really cherished was this. Tucker got into a habit of wanting to dress like me, of wanting to be Twinkies. He would wake up on Sunday morning, he would come into the bedroom, I'd be getting ready for church. He would say, Dad, Dad, let's dress like Twinkies. So I said, okay, son. So we'd go to his closet and we'd kind of pick out something that we thought, you know, I, that matched me. And so then we'd go to my closet and we'd try to find something that would, you know, we kind of cobbled together to something that matched so that we could say that we were Twinkies. And usually it just meant I was wearing a blue shirt and blue jeans and he was doing the same thing. But I'll tell you, this may sound uh, like an exaggeration. It's only a little exaggeration. But his desire to want to be Twinkies was more special to me than the day of his birth. And the reason why is this. Whenever he was born, he was born a Hatfield. He was given a new identity. But when he comes into the bedroom and he wants to be Twinkies with me, I get a glimpse of him growing into his identity, being who he is. He was born a Hatfield, but when he wants to dress like me, he's receiving that identity. He's putting on, and he's trying to walk in it, right? This morning, as we study this passage from Colossians chapter 3, I want you to see that growing in holiness looks like putting on your father's clothes. It's growing in a desire, in an ability to dress like your heavenly father, You've been given an identity in Christ and dressing, putting on holiness, dressing like him is receiving that identity and living it out. And this is something that is good and wonderful and pleasant and necessary because if our heavenly father is the Lord of the universe, he's the God that never changes. He is wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and truth. Then why would we not want to look like him? Why wouldn't we want to experience the the life and the joy, the happiness of living the way that he lives? So this morning, we're going to look at three things. First, we're going to look at receiving new clothing, receiving new clothes. Second, we're going to look at taking off the old clothes. And then third, we're going to look at putting on the new clothes. So the first thing I want you to see is that we receive new clothing. Look at Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So in these first four verses, Paul clearly lays out the identity of a Christian. Christians have been given a new identity because they have died with Christ, they were buried with Christ, they were raised with Christ, they've ascended with Christ, and now as Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly places, Paul says that's where we are. That's who we are. When Jesus returns, we are going to return with him in glory. There's this weird paradox about being a Christian that we're here right now. We're fully human, fully who we are right now in this place and time. But we are so united with Christ, the Holy Spirit, that it's, it's as if we're in heaven worshiping with God the Father. Right? 
Some scholars think that Paul preached this as part of a baptismal service. And that um, when, you, when you look at the parallels between this passage and what happens in baptism, you see that they closely overlap, right? Um, in baptism, we receive the new name of being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're united to Christ, and it's as if everything that happens to Christ has also happened to us. We are died with him, we raised with him, and now by faith in Christ, we live with him. And we've been given this brand new identity that we get to live out. We've been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been transformed, we've been changed, and now we have this new identity that we get to grow into. Uh, the early church saw this connection, and so what they wanted to do in baptism is they wanted to symbolize it. So what would happen in the early church is they would have baptisms on Easter. So every year around the baptism time, they would take their new converts, the, the new converts would make their profession of faith, then they would have baptisms. And the new converts would wear their old clothing down to the baptism area, they would take off those clothings to their undergarments, they would go down in the water, they were baptized, then when they would come out of the water, they would give them new garments to wear, symbolizing that the old garments of sin and misery and guilt have been taken away and the new garments of the righteousness of Christ have been put on. When we receive Jesus through our profession of faith and we're baptized in him, we receive a new identity. We are in Christ we're in his life, death, and resurrection. We're in his ascension. We're in his session, and we're in his return. That is who we are. That's our identity. That's our self-image. Why is this important for us? It's important because the single most important question that we have to answer every day is, who am I? It's the most important question for a teenager as their whole world is changing, I see some teenagers back there, and every morning you kind of wake up and you go to junior high and you open your locker and you're like, who am I? What's going on with my body? It's the most important question when you get in your 20s and you go to college and you're trying to pick a major and find a spouse and figure out what to do with the rest of your life. I, I, I work with 20-year-olds every day, and the most important question they have to answer is, who am I? It's the most important question of your 30s, when you're working on your career and you're trying to build your family and your portfolio and your future. It's the most important question of your 40s when you're going through a midlife crisis. It's the most important question of your 50s when you're reaping the consequences, good or bad, of your midlife crisis in the 40s. It's the most important questions for, for grandparents and retirees in their 60s and 70s. Every morning, the most important question we have to answer when we get up is, who am I? And what Paul is telling us here is that we are in Christ. That he defines us. That we've been given an entirely new set of clothing to wear day in and day out. Many of you probably have professions where you have to wear a certain attire when you go to work. And so you wake up in the morning, you look in your closet, you try to decide what you're going to wear, and you go, who am I? What is my job, right? I've got to put on clothes that are appropriate for my job. Well, in that same way as Christians, God has given us a wardrobe. He's given us an attire that we get to put on every morning when we get up and we live out this Christian life. Who are we? We are in Christ. 
the most important question we have to answer. Um, now, uh, that is a question, that's, that's an identity that Christians have received. It's been given to them through the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and it's a question of, of who we are that even non-Christians have to answer. And, and if you are here this morning and, and you're not sure where you stand in your, uh, with your faith and where you stand with Christ, or if you know people who are not sure where they stand with Christ, the most important question for them to answer is, who are they as well? And if you reject Christ, that is an answer. That is a definition. You're defining yourself as somebody who's rejected Jesus. Another campus minister I know was talking to a student once, and that student said, I know that Jesus rose. I know that Jesus lived. I know that he died. I know that he rose. I believe all that. I believe that I'm a sinner. But there's one thing that I just can't give up. I can't give up my identity. I want the freedom to define myself however I want to define myself. And I cannot give up control of my identity. And the campus minister looked at him and said, well, if that's true, then you'll be forever defined by your rejection of Jesus. Your identity will always be the one who rejected Christ. Who are we? How we answer that question is fundamental to our existence. Now, it's so fundamental that Paul spends the next two sections of this chapter unpacking how we live it out. So now we're going to look at how Paul calls us to take off the old clothes that we have from verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So here in this section, Paul lays out attitudes and actions that are contrary to this new identity that we've been given in Christ. And I think he kind of puts them in two categories. I would say there's one category that's sins of the body, another category that's sins of the tongue. And we're going to unpack those here in just a minute. But first, I just want to point out that I think oftentimes we emphasize one set of sins over the other. We really, we really hammer down and hone in and focus on or judge sins of the body, and then we kind of ignore the sins of the tongue. Or we're really critical on people who are judgmental and malicious, and, and we really harp on the sins of the tongue, and we just sort of ignore the sins of the body. But the beauty of what the Bible does and what Paul does is Paul shows us here that they're both contrary to our identity in Christ. He holds up both of them as sinful and in need of sanctification. So the first thing that he talks about is what I would call sins of the body or sexual sins. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, that he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And Paul says that these betray the Christian identity because at their core, they're idolatrous. If you notice in the passage, Paul moves from the specific sexual immorality all the way down towards the general which is idolatry. And you might be wondering, how does Paul get from point A to point B there? Well, what he's doing is he's peeling back the layers of an onion to get to the core of what is going on in our hearts when we sin sexually. 
And he says it's idolatry. He talks about this in Romans 1 when he says that all who've been given over to sexual immorality worship the creation instead of the creator. Right? What's happened is God has given us um, good, godly desires for physical intimacy with someone else. Those are good things. But sin is parasitic. So what sin has to do is attach onto a host to feed off of it and pervert it. So what sin has done is sin has attached itself to that good, godly desire for physical intimacy. It's perverted it. It's twisted it. It's, it's um, manipulated it so that rather than uh, sexual, physical intimacy being something that leads us to worship the creator, we end up worshiping sex and our sexual desires. We take the creation and we begin to worship it rather than the creator. But that's not the only way we do it. We actually, I think what Paul is showing here is that we worship, uh, we fall into this idolatry with both sexual sins and sins of the tongue. Like word sins also come from a form of idolatry. How so? Well, if you take the onion of your anger, right, and you begin to peel that back, when you're angry, when you're seething, what are you angry about? What's at the core of that? I think at its core is the idolatry of self. When you're really mad, when we're really mad, when I'm really mad, it's because at my core, the world is not revolving around me. What I've done is I've taken myself and I've exalted myself to the place of God. And we act as if my desires, my wants, my needs, my timeline should be the operating system of the world. That we are the sun and that everything else should orbit around us. And then when it doesn't, it makes us mad. It makes us frustrated. It makes us angry. It makes us exasperated. It makes us annoyed. Uh, one time, one of my boss asked me, he said, what is your default negative emotion? And I said, annoyance. I just get annoyed at things, right? What am I really annoyed at? What is that? <sighs> like, what's driving that? It's that in that moment, you have inconvenienced me. And your plan does not align with my plan. And with the core, what's at the core of that is idolatry. It's self-centeredness. Right. What's at the core of lying? Lying is the same thing. When we lie, why do we lie? We lie either for approval to look better or to gain power and control over somebody else. But either, way, either reason we lie, it's for idolatry. It's for selfish means and selfish gains. And Paul says that we need to put those things off. At their core, they're both idolatrous, and they need to be transformed. Um, Tim Keller tells uh, the story of someone he knew in college. Tim Keller a, was a PCA pastor until he retired. But he said that they knew a man in college who was very sexually promiscuous, um, and they, that was just sort of like his reputation. Well, at some point in college, he became a Christian. His life was changed and transformed, and he began going to Bible studies. But when he'd go to the Bible studies, he had to take control of those Bible studies. And if anybody challenged his authority or questions his leadership, he would get mad and he would get angry. And Keller points out that 
the root sin that he struggled with in both his sexual promiscuity and his control of the Bible studies was the same. It was an idolatry of self. In both situations, he had to be in control. He had to have power. They're both sinful. They both need to be put off. They're both contrary to the old, to the new clothing that we have in Christ. Paul wants us to take those things off. So how do we take these old clothes off? First, when you experience sexual temptation or anger or lying or any of the things that Paul mentioned in this list, ask yourself, get curious. What do I want? What do I need? What's really happening in this moment? What is my core desire? What am I worshiping right now that's leading me to this sin? And the second thing you do is you take off those old clothes through repentance. You confess that there's sin, that that sin has perverted your desires and that they're unhealthy. You get out of the attic. You get out of the attic and you get out of the old clothes. Uh, A few years ago, I was at home for Christmas and uh, I was at my mom's house. You know, we were kind of done with all the Christmas stuff. We'd unwrapped our presents. I'd watched, you know, the Christmas story for the one millionth time on TNT I was kind of bored, so I thought to myself, okay, what can I do? Well, mom probably needs some cleaning, right? So uh, for whatever reason, I decided I was going to clean out the attic. So I got up in the attic. I went up there. Had, you know, nobody's been up there in decades. I'm looking around, and there's just boxes and boxes of my old clothes everywhere, covered in dust, covered in dirt, covered in insulation. Nobody's going to wear these clothes again, right? These were all things that I wore at a former point in my life. Now, what did I do at that point? Did I take out those old dirty clothes and put them on and start wearing them? You know, like my old, you know, Mike, you can probably appreciate this. My old Little League jersey, right? Dirty, covered in stains. Did I take that off and put it on? No. That's the old me. That's a whole nother life. I took the old clothes and I threw them out. And eventually I got downstairs and I I went. And when I needed to change, I put on my new clothes. When we go back to our sexual morality, to our anger, to our lying, to our malice, to our gossip, it's as if we're crawling back up in the attic and putting on old clothes that don't fit us anymore. Paul says, take off those old clothes. Put on your new clothes. Get out of the attic. Get out of the shame and the guilt. Your heavenly Father's given you a whole new set of clothes. Put those on and wear them. Um, Another campus minister told me this story. He had a male student he'd been trying to meet with over and over and over again. And, and the male student just kept standing him up, kept missing the meetings. And one day, the, the guy missed another meeting, and the campus minister just said, that's it, I'm done with this, I'm going to go find him. So he goes to his room. He knocks on the door. The student opens the door. And through the crack in the door, the campus minister could see the guy's girlfriend lying in bed. He looked, he looked the guy in the face and said, that's not who you are. And he turned around and walked out. The next week, the guy wanted to meet with him. He confessed to his sin. He repented. He received God's grace. When you see these old sin patterns, these old habits, these old attitudes and actions in your life, in Christ, that's not who you are. That's why you feel sinful and guilty and ashamed of him. God has given you new clothes to put on. And Paul tells us about those new clothes, and he encourages us to put on those new clothes in the last section of this chapter. Look at verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put, and above all, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So Paul encourages us to put on these new clothes. And the first thing he does, he says, you are chosen. You are beloved. You're God's chosen holy ones and beloved. So in in the previous verses, he gave us that negative motivation. He's saying the wrath of God is coming on these behaviors. Don't do them. But now in this passage, in this section, he's leading us with this positive motivation to be who you are. God has chosen you in Christ before the foundation of the world to be his beloved children. He's given birth to you. Be who you are. We don't take off the old clothes just to avoid punishment. We take off the old clothes because the Father has seen fit to give us new clothes in a new family to reflect his glory and his love. What do these clothes look like? Well, you could, you could just go through the list. They look like compassion. Compassion is a deep sensitivity to the needs of others. They look like kindness. Kindness is being tender towards each other. They look like humility. Humility means that you forgo your own rights for the good of other people. It looks like meekness, which is is a gentleness of spirit. It looks like patience, bearing with one another. It looks like doing one of the hardest things that it is for human beings, especially Christians, to do, to forgive each other. Now, why do we do those things? We do those things Because that's our Heavenly Father. Those are His characteristics. Our Heavenly Father is kind. He's humble. He's compassionate. He's meek. He's patient. And He has been all those things towards us. Right? We, We can be kind because our Heavenly Father has been kind to us. Some of us, myself included, say just terrible things to ourselves that our Heavenly Father would never say. Our Heavenly Father has been humble. He's done the thing that that nobody else and no other God that's ever invented would do. He's came from heaven to rescue us. Our Heavenly Father is meek. God was so gentle. He would never break a bruised reed. Our Heavenly Father has been patient with us. And it's his kindness, his patience, that leads us to repentance. We put on all these things because this is the way our Heavenly Father has treated us. And this is who He is. Ultimately, the one virtue that connects all these things together is love. Love for God and love for our neighbors. Um, and we don't do this anymore because we don't really wear robes or cloaks or anything like that. But in, you know, in their time, you might wear a robe, you wear a cloak, but you'd have to have something that would tie it together, something that would connect it. A clasp or a a piece of thread. 
Well, Paul's saying that love is the thing that binds all these things together. That it's the love of God poured out in your heart through the Holy Spirit that brings these fruits to bear in your life. The love of God is the wellspring that wells up to help us to love others. And it's that love that leads us to worship. I love how Paul transitions into worship here. Right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. It wells up into worship. Remember what we said earlier. What's the root of anger and sexual morality? Idolatry, false worship. What's the antidote to those two things? True worship. This is why your worship is never in vain. When you come here and you worship the Lord of the universe and you meet with him as your heavenly father, you are being exactly who you were called to be. You are doing exactly what you're called to do. The word of God is welling up in you. It's transforming you to be who you are. I'm speaking ad lib here a little bit, and maybe I'm stepping out of line, but but I just want to say, I think there's probably, when you're in a pastoral church, my guess is there's probably a sense in which we're kind of waiting till the pastor gets here before we're really doing church. Right, we're in some transition period. And I just want to tell you, that is not true at all. You have elders that love you. You have a staff that loves you. You have, uh, Steve is shepherding you guys. The elders are shepherding. You have, this is worship. This is great. This is what your heavenly father wants. He's transforming you. You're not wasting anything here. Let that love well up into your hearts and transform you. It's the love of Christ it's demonstrated by your heavenly father that drives all of this. And what do you see in Christ's life? You see that before the foundation of the world, where was he? He was the eternal son of God in heaven. And Psalm 104.2 tells us that God dwells in light as a garment. That Jesus had light as a garment in heaven. But he loved us so much that he took off that garment. He came to earth and he put on flesh. He became a man for us. He wore that flesh around. And as he wore that flesh around, he put on our sins. He wore those around. And then he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, what did they do? They stripped him of his garments. He was naked. The only thing on him on the cross was our sin. Why would the Lord of the universe take our sin upon him? So that we could have his robe so we could be dressed in his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might be the righteousness of Christ. In Christ, you wear God's royal robe. You are his beloved, dressed in the righteousness of his son. You can't get any more beautiful than that. That's how God sees you. And he wants you to grow into that out of love. Um, one last story. I grew up in uh, Coweed, Oklahoma on a farm. I grew up next to my grandpa, so I spent a lot of time with my grandpa. Right? We would work together, we'd fish together, we'd ride around in the truck together, uh, just a ton of time with each other, and so we developed a great affection for each other. And my grandpa had a very distinctive way in which he would dress. Uh, it was pretty unmistakable. He always wore a, a farming cap, but it wasn't like a cool trucker cap. It was like foam on the front with fishnet in the back, and it had some like tractor supply name across the front of it, you know. It's just something somebody gave him at some, you know, tractor show or something like that. So he'd always have one of those hats on, cocked sideways. He always wore overalls, 
okay? And again, not the cool kind, the kind that you would buy at the farm supply store that nobody else was buying. And he wore boots, and he always had one leg up on top of the boot and then one pant leg down. This was, again, this, he was not a gangster rapper or anything. It was just far, you know, this is back before that was cool, you know, when some of us were in the 90s and we were watching him. Mean, that was not the cool thing to do. But. So that was my grandpa all the time. That's all he wore. That's how I remember him. Well, when I was about, oh, 17 or 18, uh, he passed away. And when he passed away, um, he left a closet full of clothing. And on the top was a row of hats. And on the middle was a row of overalls. And on the bottom was a row of boots. And my grandma said, you can go to his closet and you can take whatever you want out of his closet and keep it. And I said, well, I'm not gonna, I don't think I'm ever going to wear the hats. Definitely not wearing the overalls. But how about a pair of boots? So I got a pair of my grandpa's cowboy boots. And I put them on. And at first they were a little stiff and they were a little big, but they were my grandpa's. And I wore them and I wore them and I wore them. Not because I had to, not because of duty, not because of sentimentality, not because of anything other than I loved my grandpa. And as I wore those boots, they broke in, I grew, and they began to fit me. And I began to wear the clothing of my grandpa out of love. That's the same thing that happens as we grow in holiness. The first time you try to put these clothes on, they might feel big and unfitting and kind of clunky and kind of uncomfortable. But the more and more you wear them as the Holy Spirit works on your hearts and your minds, you grow into them. You grow into dressing like your Heavenly Father and you experience the joy of that. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for for loving us in Christ far more than we could have ever thought or imagined or hoped for. What an amazing thing it is that you love us and delight in us and would want to be with us and would want to give us your righteousness that we could wear. We are your children, deeply loved, deeply accepted. And we pray now that as the Holy Spirit convicts, that it would convict of sin, that it would show us the areas of our life where we put on the old clothing. We pray that you would convict of sexual morality, of lust, of covetousness. We pray that you'd convict of anger and wrath, malice, slander, gossip, and lying. We pray that where you would convict, you would also heal. That you would apply the balm of the gospel to our wounds and help us to grow in Christ so that we look more and more like you. Father, thank you so much for this amazing love. Help us respond by grace through faith. Work in us the Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Now is the time in the service when we get to respond to God's grace to us. Um, God didn't just content himself with being outside of us and being on us, but he wanted to be in us. He wanted to transform us. Uh, The passage says that Christ is all and in all in a very real, real way that if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And what God has done in this meal called the Lord's Supper is he's given us a sign and a seal that says he wants to be with us and in us. Um, he's given us a sign that we're his deeply beloved children. This meal is for all who have put on Christ, who have professed faith in Christ, who've been baptized in Christ, 
and who subsequently have been raised with Christ. It's not the meal of the PCA or ethos or anyone else. It's a meal for God's chosen and beloved children. And so we would invite you to come. If you're here this morning.